you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Many of you asked, and um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump in first. Um, we never covered verse 23 last week, and many of you are really concerned about that. And so um, we're going to cover it real quick. Can we do that? Yeah. All right, good. This is what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse 23 Paul tells Timothy this, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Of course, in a Baptist church, everybody wants to know about the wine, right? So, we're not really sure why Paul does this in the midst of what he's talking about. Um, Specifically here. Um, it's, it's kind of an odd place for Timothy to go, oh, by the way, but that's what he's done, okay? And, and Timothy's writing this letter to, or Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, and in the midst of it, he says, oh, by the way, Timothy. So we don't know if Paul may be answering a question that Timothy had, um, but, but what it appears from the text is that Timothy has, has chosen to abstain from wine and only drink water, and Paul is giving him as authority in his life giving him permission then it says no longer drink only water but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments and so then the question becomes in the baptist church is like well can we drink alcohol well look (laughs) um this is not a matter of tradition what does the bible tell us and there's nowhere within scripture that the bible says do not drink alcohol the Bible is very clear on alcohol, on, on, on many other vices that we choose, that we don't do it in excess, but we always as believers remain self-controlled and sober-minded. And in anything that we do, if we don't practice self-control, it hinders us. If we don't remain sober-minded, it hinders us. It hinders us from making good decisions. It hinders our witness to those around us. So so what the Bible teaches us and tells us about alcohol is is that it's not this thing we have to run away from and make an issue that doesn't have to be an issue. Rather, as believers, we remain self-controlled and sober-minded to it. Right? That's what the Bible says. That's not my opinion, This is what the Word of God says. So if you find yourself in a situation where you drinking alcohol is going to cause another brother to stumble or another sister to stumble, don't do it. Remain self-controlled. If you find yourself in a position where you are not good at being self-controlled when it comes to alcohol or anything else, then you need to stay away from it. These are just points of logic and understanding how we as believers live our lives. We remain self-controlled and sober-minded. And the reason that that's the case is because of the gospel. The gospel changes who we are, and it changes how we act, which goes right into our aim this morning. The gospel transforms us from the inside out. That God does something inside of us 
So then it shows the world what he has done, right? And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 and 2, Paul is going to address slaves and masters. And he's going to do this in light of what we talked about, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, the gospel. In light of that, he's going to say, hey, slaves and masters, here's how you ought to relate to one another. And it's all about what God does in us and then through us. But before we get there, I think we need to unpack a little bit the history and our mindset of slavery. Most of us today sitting in this room, when we mention slavery, we have the mindset of either African slave trade of, the, of, the, of, of early on in this country, or we have what we have today is, is trafficking, human trafficking taking place. Those are our ideas and mindsets of slavery. But if we go back to the Old Testament and, 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 and the New Testament and the Roman Empire and we unpack slavery there, what we have is um, more of an indentured servant, more of a, an idea of I'm going to hire myself out to someone to pay off a debt and they're going to provide things for me and I'm going to, it's almost like an employee-employer relationship, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, um, we see God setting up ways for people to get out of even this servant mindset, even this slavery that they find themselves in, if they found themselves poor and broke and couldn't afford anything and, and, and say I was poor and broke and I went to Gary and said, hey, Gary, I, I, need, to, I need to indebt myself to you so that I can, I can work and I can do things and I can survive and live and, and I'm under, um, under uh, Gary is my master and I'm the slave, I'm the servant and I'm working for him. But God sets up, even in the Old Testament, Every seventh year was the year of, anybody know it? Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, anyone who was indebted to anyone else, that debt was forgiven and made clean and right, and I was free from Gary. So even God said, hey, look, this is a, this is a part of life, this is a part of culture, but it's not a permanent situation because I'm going to make free every seventh year those who find themselves in this situation. So God provides a way for that to happen. And even in the Old Testament, we see this idea of slavery and servanthood taking place. And then we move into the Roman Empire, we move into New Testament times where, where Paul is addressing this to Timothy. And, and it, it, is, it, it is figured anywhere from 50 to 60% of the Roman Empire were slaves or servants of some kind. And they would, they would oftentimes be free of that slavery or that servanthood by the age of 30. They had worked and, and paid off their debt and now could provide and do something for themselves by the age of 30. And so the idea here of slave and master wasn't the idea of, of what we think of, right? Because if we move for our idea in our current culture of of even human trafficking or the African slave trade and early in colonial times for us is um, buying someone and treating them awful and using them and doing whatever we want with them. That's our, our mindset of slavery. This is not what Paul and Timothy are talking about. This is not what Paul is addressing with Timothy. He's looking more of it in their context 
which is, of course, did, 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 did masters treat slaves bad then? Absolutely. It's always happened. I'm not condoning that. I'm just telling you that in Roman culture, and, and what Paul's addressing with Timothy is, look, these, this idea of slavery was very different. Because oftentimes, people that you would consider a slave in Roman culture also had slaves. Someone was indebted to them, and they were working for them, and so forth and so on. If you go back to the Old Testament, Joseph was sold into slavery, but Joseph worked in Potiphar's house and became what? Very wealthy. He became head of all the house, right? And so this is the idea that, that Paul is addressing here with Timothy. And so he addresses this in this way. Let all, verse 1, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So verse 1, he addresses those that, are under, that have a master who may not be a believer. Okay? May not be a believer. And then verse 2, he says this. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So he, 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 he breaks it down into two ways. Those who don't have believing masters and those who do have believing masters. And so the question for us then becomes, well, what do we do with this? Because I don't have a master and I'm not a slave. Well, that's not the point here. What Paul's saying is the gospel transforms you from the inside out. And it changes who you are, so it changes how you act. Look what he says. This is for the first time in, in, in culture, masters and slaves are sitting at church together. This is, this is a whole nother ball game. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Listen to this. This is huge. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Look, if you're a slave, what Paul is saying, if you're a slave, if you're indebted to anyone and in your, you're in your service, how you handle yourself matters. How you live your life matters matters and it matters in a way that when when God is doing something inside of you you don't act like an unbeliever now thank you Siri you, you don't act like an unbeliever now that's not how this works but now because you have come to know Christ then then what you do is you treat your master as worthy of all honor for no other reason then for the name of God and his teaching would be lifted high and not be reviled. And so when we, we dig into this and we see Paul saying, hey, look, Timothy, tell masters and tell the slaves that look, hey, the way you live your life and what God's doing inside of you has the potential to change and shape and transform the life of the one you're indebted to. 
So those of you that work for someone, what God's doing inside of you and shaping and transforming you has the potential to change your employer's life. Because that's what the gospel does. It changes us from the inside out and makes us look more like Jesus every day. So the question then for us is, if my life looks no different than, than my coworker who doesn't know Jesus, then what's God doing in me? And how much time am I spending with him? an opportunity to shape the world around you by what God is doing in you. And then he's going to go to verse 2. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. And so he goes on and he says, hey, those of you that have masters who are believers, don't take advantage of them. <laughs> don't, don't just go, oh, they'll forgive me. No, he says, you should work even harder. It, your work should be done even better because now this believer that you're working for is benefiting and ultimately the kingdom of God is benefiting because all the rest of the world sees him and you doing everything you do to the glory of God. And it changes those who watch. It changes those who watch. Paul's very clear here with the slaves and masters. I think, church, we have to be mindful of how we handle ourselves and what the Lord is doing in your life. How is he changing you how is he shaping you? What's your quiet time like? Like, Brady, I don't know what a quiet time is. Okay, I'll tell you. It's just every day carving out some time. Just every day saying, hey, on my calendar, these 20 minutes belong to the Lord. These 30 minutes, these hour, this hour belongs to the Lord. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to turn my phone off and I'm going to turn the TV off, and I'm going to turn the radio off, and I'm going to turn off any distraction that I may have. I mean, I wish I could turn off my children, but it's a little harder. But like, get up earlier. Go, do it when they go to bed. Like, I'm just telling you, carve out time and say, okay, this time is for the Lord, and you protect that time with all that you are. Say, nope, this is my time. Somebody goes, hey, you want to go to a movie? Nope, this is my time with the Lord. This is my time with the Lord. And you open up God's word and you just begin to read. Just read. If you're like, I don't know where to start, start with the Gospel of John. It's a good place to start. Start with the Gospel of Matthew. Read all four of them. Brady, I don't, I don't read fast. I don't either. It takes me forever. My wife could read like 400 pages and an hour and it would take me six weeks like that's just I get it like I don't read fast I'm not that but I'm not telling you read the whole gospel in one sitting 
but read something and then process it. Think about it. Write down some thoughts on it. And then just spend some time praying, asking God, God, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to show me? Give me opportunities today to reflect you. That's a hard prayer. But it's a worthy prayer. Give me opportunities today to reflect you. To show the world Jesus. Because look, what Paul's telling Timothy in these, this master-slave relationship is that what he does in you impacts everything else. And if he's not doing anything in you, you're, you're, the impact you're making for Jesus is very small, if even existent. So the question for you and I is, what is Christ doing in you? And when are you giving him the opportunity to do it? In this master-slave relationship, Paul addresses with Timothy is that ultimately Paul says over and over again and so should we that we are a slave to Christ that he is our master we are his slaves and we are indebted to him for all that he has done because ultimately what happened laid out in Philippians chapter 2 it says this let each of you in verse 4 Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Same word for slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The very master that you and I serve came and he made himself a servant for you and for me by dying on a cross for your sins and for mine. And he was laid in a tomb and three days later he walked out of that tomb conquering death. And so he is worthy of all of our life. And how we live our life and how he shapes and changes our life matters and shapes and changes the world around us. May that be true of every single one of us this week as we live our lives. That he's changing and transforming us in such a way 
from the inside out that it changes those around us and shows them Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that um, we have the opportunity to open it each week to unpack what you have for us. Father, may we be found faithful to spending time with you, to you shaping and changing and transforming us. Father, may, may we impact those around us. May it be our kids, may it be our, our spouses, may it be our, our extended family, may it be our coworkers and our employers. Father, may it extend and may the ripples of the gospel change the world all because of what you are doing in us. Father, this is your time. Would you move? Would you change hearts? It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen.